0: Hi, welcome to Dreams Recycled podcast with me, your host, Tiffany-Ann. I'm excited today because we're going to talk about some things that are a little bit naughty. So if you're listening to this in the car with your children, you should probably turn it off. Um, today, we are joined by a friend of mine, the lovely Stina Marie Brown. Hi, Stina. Hi, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I was—I was—I have to tell you, I was a little bit suspect about whether I should ask you on or not. I love what you do, but, um, it, but it's such a common problem and issue and questions I get asked constantly by divorcees. Um, if you've been in a very long-term marriage, you may not have had sex at all or rarely, <laughs> very rarely, or hopefully you've only been having sex with your spouse. Um, and so once, once we get out of our marriages and we start going back into the dating world, one of the things that is really terrifying is the thought of having sex with anyone new. And that's for a multitude of reasons. And so um, that's what we want to talk to you about. So how do you kind of empower yourself to get back in the saddle, so to speak?
1: Mm. I love this question. It's so juicy. (laughs) I feel like there's so many different angles it could take um, to look at this because I really think our sexuality is about, or how I define it is who we are and how we relate to others. Mm -hmm. So, you know, no matter where we are in our journeys and our relationships, it's coming back to ourselves and coming back to our pleasure and embodiment within so that Mm -hmm. we can then bring that into a relationship. And when relationships are rocky or we're going through, you know, a divorce or a breakup or after there's a sense of identity shift and this kind of sometimes disconnection or loss of like, who am I now? You know, Mm -hmm. how do I go out there and connect with other people? And I think what it really comes back to is connecting with ourselves first because we can't Mm -hmm. go into a relationship and expect the other person to magically know what we
0: like. And well, I was going to say, and no, and that's a very good point, right? Because a lot of times um, when I speak to divorcees, one of the things they say is during their marriage, one of the issues was a dissatisfactory sex life or a sex life that didn't match their needs or their wants or whatever. Or in fact, even being married to somebody who they never even felt comfortable discussing mm-hmm. sexuality or sex with in any way. And so they've come out of the other end. And not only do they, uh, you know, they're not confident in their body and themselves, but also, they actually want to kind of reinvent their sex life. And, mm. and I think that's true. You know, a lot of us get married very, very young. A lot of us uh, kind of um, the more passive role in the relationship and sexually, right, when we get married. And then, uh, and then by the time we're older and leave those marriages, we're almost different people anyway. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. So what, so how do you, how would you uh, advise people? How do we reconnect with our sexuality? How do we feel more confident in ourselves?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first thing, you know, as you were talking that comes up is looking at the shame that we have around even talking about it. So even talking about our vagina, talking about pleasure, talking about orgasm, and just being able to use those words without going back to like the middle school sex ed class where you're like the giggly (laughs) little, you know, girl that's like, Oh, can we even talk about that? Mm -hmm. And allowing yourself to find spaces in your life where those topics are open. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what, you know, I've created in my tribe is a space where we can talk about that. And Mm -hmm. I have friends and people come to me and they're like, You're, I think, the kind of person I'm supposed to talk to this about. And it's it's like, they don't know, people don't usually know, like, where to go to get that. But having that safe space where you can just say, this is something I'm struggling with. Or I feel, Mm -hmm. like, numb from the waist down and what's going on there. When Mm -hmm. we can actually just acknowledge it, that to me is the first step. And saying, you know, this is how it's been, but this isn't how it's going to be anymore. So... Mm -hmm. You know, and healing that in within yourself then allows you to move forward to create something different in a, in a new relationship, because there's I, something I hear from a lot of clients is like, well, he was a great husband, he was a great, you know, dad, he's a great guy, but like there's just no chemistry, and mm-hmm. they create this fantasy idea of this man who they could go find who's just going to sweep them off their feet and throw them down on the bed and fuck them and everything's going to be like hunky dory. And for me, it really took releasing the shame and then finding out what I actually like and what I actually want. Mm -hmm. And it goes beyond just like technique. So it's not just like, Oh, this is the position, that sexual position I like, or, you know, I like to be touched this way, but it's really on like that emotional and energetic level Mm -hmm. And so some of that does mean self-pleasuring. Some of that means taking time to actually touch our own bodies. And sometimes that's just a simple like massage after the shower. I have Mm -hmm. uh, so many women who they become uncomfortable, even just like massaging their arms and legs and, you know, inner thighs. We're like, whoa, like, am I really supposed to love myself? that much I really is it really okay for me well, to enjoy my body
0: well and it's difficult isn't it so after a broken relationship or divorce I mean, we are all racked with you know most of us anyway racked with self-doubt and insecurities and self-esteem issues you know which are kind of a byproduct of the divorce and the breakup of a marriage you know often we're in relationships with people who maybe have made us feel not so great about our bodies or our looks or whatever. I mean, being a woman, you go into a marriage, usually with no children, usually. (laughs) And, you know, two, three children later. I mean, I know for me, one of my biggest things was like, good Lord, like I haven't had sex with anyone as a mother, right? Mm -hmm. Since I've had these children, since my body has changed, you know, no longer Victoria's Secret model (laughs) kind of look anymore. And, um, and and there's, you know, that kind of change on top of the fact that you're already insecure and you're worried about what other people think and you're worried about if you've missed out on some kind of, you know, something everybody else knows and you didn't like you didn't get the manual somehow. Mm-hmm. And um and it is, it's nerve-wracking. And and so and I have a lot of men who contact me also, men and women who struggle mm-hmm. with this, you know, and then then this leads into things like performance anxiety. Um, you know, or maybe they even shut down, like you said, and they don't even want to have sex. They don't even want to have a relationship because they're so scared of being naked with somebody or having sex with the lights on, or somebody seeing, you know, the cellulite on their thighs or whatever it is that people are hung up on. And Mm. it's such a shame because um, one of the things I discuss with them is, you know, it's part of the forgiveness and the self love, right? After divorce, you really have to work on the whole person because sex is such a big part of your, um, or your psyche is such a big part of your sexual life that if you haven't healed your psyche, you're not going to be able to heal your sexual life. So, so what would you say? say. So, (laughs) and there is no right or wrong answer. So if our listeners are listening, there is no kind of one thing fits everyone, but Stina Murray is a sexual empowerment coach and we're excited to have her. And um, so I guess what I want to say is in specific terms, let's say you're struggling. Let's say you've been married for 20 years. You've come out of a relationship. You haven't had sex. Maybe you haven't had sex for the last five years in your marriage you meet someone and you are just petrified to have sex with them. Is it something you should be discussing with the person when you go on these, you know, once you get to that level? Is it something that you should kind of fess up to and work through together? Or should you just kind of rip off the birth date and have sex anyway?
1: Um, so in my experience, this is like totally in my body. It's like I cannot force myself you know, to just move beyond the emotion. It's like, if there's resistance there, if there's fear or constriction where it's like, I, I just don't even know what that's going to feel like. To me, the best approach is always to put it out there. And it's, you know, going into a relationship, if you're wanting to, if you're really wanting to build this relationship, like let's assume that you're dating with the intention of, I really want to build a new relationship and not just, you know, for fun, yeah. <laughs> <Have> fun. <Yeah. laughs> well, because um, there's
0: a lot of that after divorce. Lots of people having fun, <laughs> right? And that's
1: and that's great. But I think that um, you know, part of the the fear is that when you really open up and are vulnerable and commit, that like, what if this turns out to be just like before? You know, mm-hmm. and and that can come up even if things are looking good.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: to actually be able to allow yourself the space to just say. I really would love to be intimate with you. Right. I really crave that, but it 's been so long that it 's like a rusty hinge you know it 's like <laughs> it kind of it feels unfamiliar, it feels new, and mm-hmm. you know admit that like that 's exciting right it 's exciting that this feels really new, but i 'm mm-hmm. also a little bit terrified and I, was, I think,
0: yeah. think that 's yeah. normal right it 's normal to be afraid it 's normal. To I mean I, I talk about in my book that I want to say having sex after divorce was even more petrifying than having sex for the first time ever
1: because mm-hmm. you know
0: you have however many years of also other things going on in your head that've been planted that you're trying to kind of unravel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and you know when you have that that communication,
1: it's like you're also allowing that other person to honor you. Mm-hmm. So if if you're sharing that with them and you're, you know, the the person, the partner, the person you're dating, like can't handle that if they're just like, well, you just need to get over it.
0: Right. <laughs> like this is
1: an area where yeah, it's you know, a, you, a red flag, right? Right. You can really see, yeah. How much is this person going to support me? Because this is, you know, you're going to need that emotional support in more areas than just having sex when you're building a relationship after having a divorce. Mm-hmm. So, it's almost a little bit of like a litmus test, right? Like, mm-hmm. is this person going to bring their full presence and just say, absolutely, like, we'll go slow or if you want to go fast or if you want to do this, like, let's just explore, like, let's just play and be present. That feels really nourishing, you know, to have somebody who understands, like, the nerves and the, and the fears. Mm-hmm and is willing to, to handle that with care and with love, versus somebody who just kind of wants you to get over it or doesn't from really understand, you. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, that would be another red flag. No, and <laughs> I think that's true. You know, you can tell a lot from people from their reactions, and when you're honest with people and you, sh- you show them vulnerability and they react heinously, then that's your red flag to leave, I think. Um, one of the other things, obviously that, um, divorce has a massive high percentage of is infidelity in marriages. Mm. So we also deal with a lot of people who have been cheated on in their marriage and they, they view this as a sexual inadequacy Mm. and insecurity that they feel, you know, maybe if I was better in bed, they wouldn't have had sex with somebody else. And obviously we assure them from a, um psychological point of view that when people cheat is it's very very rarely anything to do with sex and very very well never (laughs) to do with the sexual performance of the person that they're married to it's much much to do with much much more to do with the issues and insecurities that the person has who's cheating so Mm -hmm. so um if you had a client that came to you and said You know, I was in this marriage and my husband or my wife was a perpetual cheater. And now every time I have sex or think about sex, all I think about is I must not be very good or I must not, you know, some kind of inadequacy. And then in men, this often leads to performance anxiety. Like, thank God I'm not a man. That would be very frustrating, I'm sure. Um, how, How do people get over that? How do people separate that it's not them, it was always their exes?
1: Mm, yeah, so I have a couple of things to say on that. One, I wrote in my book about pornography addiction, which I feel like has similar a similar like emotional roller coaster. Mm. Where it's you know, my husband had experienced that addiction, and that's what it felt like to me when it would happen. It was like, what's he looking for that I don't have, and you know, what's what is it that I'm missing and not giving him, and it's, it's different than like, I'm not giving a moral assessment on viewing pornography, but yeah. it's just the fact of like him feeling out of control, him just kind of default escaping to something. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, what's wrong with me? And when I realized that our sexual relationship was one thing, and then his choices to view pornography or someone's choices to cheat and, you know, go have sexual relations with other people doesn't have, it just doesn't have anything to do with you. It would be like saying, well, he's an alcoholic because I don't fuck him good enough. Like that wouldn't make sense either. Or Mm -hmm. he's a drug addict because I don't fuck him good enough. It's not, we wouldn't draw those connections. And so just because we're having sex and then they're having sex with someone else, doesn't mean it's connected. And that's, it's like, that's a huge leap for us to make because Mm -hmm. there's so many messages in our culture that say like, we have to perform, we have to measure up, we have to like be sexy enough and be, you know, the Victoria's Secret model, like you said, to like keep his attention or to, you know, keep them faithful. And it's, for me, it was first realizing that, you know, our relationship wasn't going to fix that. Like I couldn't do any, I couldn't just perform better mm-hmm. to you know, get him to like stop yeah. what he was well, doing. Well,
0: we, right. Right. And that's ridiculously true. I mean, we can't fix anybody else's. We can't make anyone be faithful to us. Right. Yeah. And I think it is, it's a massive issue in marriages and in after, you know, marriages with a lot of infidelity is we really have to let go of that, that that's a hundred percent on the person who's doing it. And they're, they're issues that they have to work through and not a reflection of, you know, what our body looks like or what we're like, or if we're sexy enough or the size of our, whatever body parts i work working into right? <laughs> and, and let that yeah. go. <laughs>
1: Totally. And I think that, you know, then the next layer of that too, is choosing to trust ourselves again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned forgiveness. And I think there's always a level of, of self like hatred or like putting ourselves down self deprecation where it's like, how could I have chosen a partner who would do that to me? And you know, why would, why did I get myself into this? And so there's a level of allowing ourselves to forgive Mm. ourselves, and Mm. to, you know, allow ourselves to even forgive that person, that doesn't mean that we have to like, be, you know, back in the relationship with them, like forgiveness doesn't have requirements, but it's releasing ourselves from that, the bitterness and the unworthiness and the undeservingness. Mm -hmm. So we can say, you know, I deserve to create a relationship where the type of intimacy I want Mm-hmm. And the fidelity that I want is there. And I deserve that. And it's okay to want that. And, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to project this old stuff. Mm-hmm. onto People
0: and right. can- or, or onto yourself. Right. Exactly. With, you know, self love is just a massive hurdle to get over after divorce. And, um, uh, somebody the other day was saying, um, you know, they wanted to know if anyone would ever find them attractive again, because obviously they'd been in a relationship where they were made to feel ridiculously unattractive, mm. um, you know, sexually and otherwise. And and that kind of breaks my heart because you go, how do you let one person affect your psyche to that point that you you really don't see your attractiveness or your value or your self worth or whatever it is. And um and you can't even imagine somebody else being attracted to you. It was you know it's heartbreaking on a very kind of personal level. Mm-hmm. And um we were discussing how you know you really have to practice self-love, you have to practice it every day in every way. And mm-hmm. and until you get to a certain level, and when you get to a certain level, the irony is that <laughs> that um that kind of projection of your own self, you feel unattractive, unworthy that makes you not attract people right Mm. and it's self-fulfilling prophecy so once you kind of (laughs) yeah and so once you kind of fix that in your psyche and you learn to self-love and you realize how worthy you are and how attractive you are and that there are you know and then also realize that there are still good people out there who will be attracted to you when you're at your healthiest best self um they start to fall at your feet i mean that's what happened to me i was like after my divorce I was like god I don't know if anyone's ever going to find me attractive again and then uh the more I kind of healed my own self-worth and self-confidence the more people started to fall at my feet right <laughs> that's what <laughs> happens um, yeah I
1: I couldn't agree more because you know when you know I work mostly with women but then it's everything that I do with women it like also involves men you know <laughs> it's like yeah. by default but But it's like when a woman really drops into her presence, into her body, into her pelvic bowl and her vagina and her womb space and like gets fully into that. And you're just like, holy shit, I am pretty fucking awesome, you know? And... when we're like in the shower and feel the hot water on our bodies like we can start with those little experiences to build up that self-love and just to enjoy ourselves and I think that that's really what makes other people enjoy us it's like when you think you're interesting other people will find you interesting when you think that you're attractive other people will be attracted to you
0: right and there is nothing as attractive as confidence right in yeah. happiness, like if you, if you appear to be happy and you appear to be confident, you are like a man or woman magnet. And, and <laughs> it's as simple as that, there's nothing as attractive as that. And, yeah. and that's really what we, we kind of teach people and tell people that they should be working on, especially right after divorce. I mean, if you want to go out, have fun, have sex with a bunch of people, that's entirely up to you. But, but mostly I think people after divorce should be working on kind of the self-love factor and feeling confident and feeling okay in themselves before they kind of even try and enter any kind of other full-time relationships or, you know, another extra additional whatever uh, the sexual or physical relationships or whatever with other people. Um, Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us about your book? Your book is called Worship Her. I love that title. So tell us a little bit about it.
1: So the subtitle is Resurrect Your Pleasure, Embody Your Sexual Power, and Live Unapologetically for You. Mm. And I think that sums up the book pretty good. Um, I wrote this book just, you know, I have a lot of like personal stories in there and stories of how I've transformed and grown into my sexual power. And you know, we haven't mentioned that I got married when I was three days past my 19th birthday. So I was very young when I got married. You baby. Um, <laughs> yeah. I look back at the, the pictures and I'm like, damn, now I understand why it was like, you know, a kind of a shocking thing to get married when you're 19. I just always felt like I was older than I was anyways. But I met my husband in high school and it was like, okay, what are we waiting for? You know, we're gonna get married anyways. And so we got married and then I had my first child at 21. And my second, a couple of years later. So mm-hmm. it's really been a, an intense journey. And, you know, the transitions like through motherhood and diving into how do I create a marriage? Like, there's, you know, you mentioned like, where's the manual? Where's the handbook? And there isn't one. And so there's all of these places where you have this trial and error. And I really think that being married is a choice every day. And so, you know, you get to choose to create that relationship every day. And so when a relationship ends, it's like we find ourselves asking those same kind of like reinvention questions. And a lot of what I cover in the book is, you know, what are those beliefs and things that are keeping us in shame and keeping us from showing up? So a lot of times, like, we're just afraid to be attractive. Like, what would it mean if I started to receive attention, especially when we've been in a monogamous relationship? And for the most part, our culture kind of says, like, if you're in a monogamous relationship, then, you know, you shouldn't be receiving attention from anyone else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you shouldn't feel too attractive. You shouldn't be too, you know, too out there, too bold. Sassy. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, finding that part of ourselves that, I think that we all feel at some point, like in childhood, even where, you know, I watch my four year old daughter and she like, she is just performing every minute of her life. It's like, you know, she'll dance ballet for anyone. And she, you know, dresses herself up every day, like crown jewelry, you know, like the works. And I think that we tend to lose that like freedom and that joy And so we get the opportunity to then reclaim that and to look at, you know, where am I holding on to the unworthiness and the shame? And where am I not really speaking my truth? Where do I need to learn to say no, so that I'm not just a doormat? Like, that's Mm -hmm. another thing going into a new relationship. It's like, knowing how to hold your boundaries and respect yourself, and, you know, create that relationship from a place of empowerment, and not just Kind of obliging to someone else's needs because you want to be liked or because you want them to you know right yeah it's a different
0: yeah it's it's kind of a fine line too isn't it i mean i think what you said about your daughter is interesting as an adult it's always walking that fine line between wanting unanimous attention healthy attention and unhealthy attention and, and whether you know that manifests in sexual terms or in uh, emotional terms, but I think it's something a lot of people struggle with, that fine line. You want to be attractive and confident and attract other people to you in a healthy way, but you don't want to give so much of yourself away to everyone that there's nothing left for you or that it becomes inappropriate for you and your spouse in that situation. And I think it is, I think it's a, as an adult, it's a hard lesson to kind of figure out the parameters of that. And, um, and I'm sure you know, and I know, and you look around you, you know, there are people who clearly cannot have enough attention, and they don't care if it's healthy or unhealthy. And then there are people who are so petrified of any kind of positive attention, they kind of, you know, kind of go into the wallflower mode, and (laughs) really, really uncomfortable with it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and to me, it's you know when you come back to yourself. I had an experience last. Well, I guess it was still this year. I can't even keep track with the seasons stage. I'm like, it's last year. But um, an experience where I was sitting at Starbucks and was sharing a table with somebody, and I wrote about this in my book a little bit. It was like I was just engaging in a friendly conversation, and that's mm-hmm. just what I do. I love talking to people,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: all of a sudden like the conversation turned and he's asking me out for a drink and I'm like, what the Mm
0: -hmm. heck is happening here?
1: And you know, having been married, like I got married before I was even of drinking age. So (laughs) it wasn't (laughs) like I was going out to bars and getting asked out. So I was just like, this guy knows I'm married and he definitely wants to take me out for a drink. And, you know, being like the innocent Midwestern girl, I'm thinking we're at Starbucks. Why do we need to go anywhere else? Like (laughs) have a coffee, you know? Um, But it was really interesting because it really shone a light for me on what other people pick up on. Like when we're just being ourselves, when we fully show up, when we own it when we love ourselves, and then we show up with that. It's not our responsibility if someone else is, you know, getting the wrong message. It's like, if we're really in integrity with ourselves, then we can just say, no, thank you, you know, passing on that and moving along. And I think we can get
0: yeah, no, I was going to say because it's the same. It's the same parameter. We can't control other people's behaviors, or so we can control as our own. And obviously, yeah. we know from the the ridiculously high. I just read yesterday, actually, that um, they think statistically, seventy percent of women and seventy four percent of men have cheated at least one time in any marriage that's over ten years. Which is wow. Uh, I don't know where that. I mean, who knows, stats and lies, right? They're very similar, but (laughs) but, um, I mean, that's ridiculously high. But you can see how it happens. Mm. Like I said, you were innocently sitting in Starbucks, but it's because we have to kind of police ourselves because we can't police everyone else because a lot of people out there Mm. don't respect marriage or um, monogamy and that's up to them. But you have to, you know, act accordingly your end.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's also, you know, it wasn't his responsibility to like uphold my commitment. So just because he's like hitting on me, which I didn't realize until he was actually asking me out for the drink, which is funny because Uh I looked back at the conversation. and was like, Oh yeah, you said that that was probably a clue. Oh yeah. (laughs) Like Uh you're naive for my own good. But um, you know, when, when that conversation happened and like, I said no. And then he he found me like on Facebook and was just like, I really want, you know, I'm gonna be in town for another day. Like, can't we get a drink? And I was like, no. I was like, dude, I'm not available and you know, I'm choosing to create this kind of relationship with my husband. That's that's the deal, you know. And that's my responsibility to hold that, and that's my responsibility to communicate that. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I was blaming and just being like, No, I'm married, no, I'm married, no, I'm married. It was like, this is, this is me. This is where I'm committed. And I, it really felt like a deep reverence for myself and for my marriage because I, like I told my husband about the whole darn thing. He was privy to everything. And he's just like laughing because he knows nothing's going to happen. Like, but I think, you know, when you're, um, when you're going out there and like wanting other people to affirm you, that. That was the cat just knocked off something. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't have that self-worth within yourself and mm-hmm. you're looking for other people to validate it, it would be really easy to say yes to that offer, right? right? It would have been really easy for me to say, oh yeah, like, let oh yeah, it's just a drink. Let's just go have a drink. Mm-hmm. And because I want, I would have wanted him to make me feel beautiful and to make me feel worthy. And to be able to own that, it's like then we become really empowered in the relationships we want to choose. Whether it's, you know, denying the drink or if you're actually out dating, it's like right. being in that power so that you can say, "I enjoy this person. I would love to spend more time with them." Which mm-hmm. feels different than, "I hope they like me, and what do they think of
0: me?" and you know, all of the yeah. other questions. And am I going to be good enough? And am I going to be sexy enough? Yeah. And am I going to be whatever? Yeah. No, I totally agree. And and I think it all goes back to self-love and having self-respect for yourself, right? That the, if we're all healthy and whole as individuals, then, you know, it doesn't matter who comes in and out of your life on the external, you're still going to be okay. You're still going to be whole. You're not validated mm-hmm. or holding on to this kind of, need for attention from all these other people who quite often are unhealthy. I mean, I think when people hit on married people and they know they're married, that tells you kind of everything you need to know about that person in that one person. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And And this is somebody that
1: I was thinking, we could have had a really pleasant conversation and connected and, you know, I'm not opposed to like having a male friend. So it's mm-hmm. like, he didn't make any effort to actually build trust or build a friendship. And it totally tells you everything about that person that, you know, wow, you weren't really connecting with me just as a person, you're just kind of feeding off of the fact that I'm really confident. And Uh I think that it's, like you said, that insecurity that the other person has, like they're looking for, like, will you help me to satisfy that insecurity? so I, I was talking to a, a man who was divorced. We were talking about, you know, his, his dating relationship. And he was like, I'm just so nervous because like, does she like me? And uh, you know, are we going to have sex? This is our third date and did a lot, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "You know, the nerves are really about, is she going to like me? And I said, so if she doesn't, then that doesn't mean anything about you. Right. Like, If someone doesn't find you attractive, that doesn't mean you're not attractive. If someone doesn't want to take you out on a date, it doesn't mean you're not desirable. Like
0: one person. Yeah, no. And that's a massively important thing you just said. I mean, we really have to get over that. Just because we're not right for somebody, that doesn't mean we're not right for anybody. And, um, and I, I always say, you know, people do your favor. People do your really, really big favor when they recognize even before you do that you and them are not a match because right there, that's everything you need to know. If they don't feel you're a match, then 100% you are also, they're not also a match for you and you can, you know, go back into the dating world and find somebody who is right and that's a good thing it's definitely better than finding out after you've married them that they're not a good match (laughs) and um and that's a good thing and um we're gonna we're gonna kind of come to an end in a minute but I just want to touch on something that you kind of brought up um we talk to a lot of people who are obsessed with uh stalking their exes right Mm. and especially if it's you know, their ex has moved on too quick. Their ex has moved on with somebody that they think they were having an affair with. They catch their, their, at the time, spouse having an affair and now they're getting divorced and they're just obsessed with looking at the people's Instagram and Facebook and et cetera, et cetera. And and Mm -hmm. you you touched on it that, um, you know, the person you're married to is the person you have a contract with. That's the person who you made a vow to whoever these additional people are. It's a complete waste of energy, time and effort to be stalking them and channeling all that negativity and that Mm. hatred and vengeance and doing all this crazy stuff that people confess to me every day (laughs) that they're doing. Um, And obviously it's a, it's a, energy wasted when they could be spending it on themselves they could be spending it on trying to you know salvage any kind of relationship with their ex or soon-to-be ex for the sake of their children you know whoever these people are as we said you know you just said and I said they've showed you everything you need to know about them you don't need to know anything about them they've they've Mm. been having a relationship with somebody they knew they were married so so I say put them in the screw that bucket and carry on right because it's all about you now
1: (laughs) yeah I totally agree that you know putting anytime we're putting that much energy into something that's about fear and that's just creating more anxiety I think one thing we have to look at is like how do I think that how do I like secretly think this is benefiting me like do I actually think that this is gonna make them feel worse about what they're doing or like, you know, like what is the kind of delusion that we're feeding ourselves about why I need to keep doing this? Like, what are we expecting to happen? What are we trying to prove about that person? And how can we let that go so that, like you said, we can reinvest that energy somewhere that's actually going to bring us pleasure and happiness?
0: Well, and you're just doing more psychological damage to yourself, obsessing about the, the new partner or the new wife or the new husband or the new whoever or the person they had an affair with I mean that's all to me just a complete waste of energy that you should be spending on yourself and figuring out what you want in the life that you're going to build and Mm -hmm. um but um anyway Stina, it's been lovely lovely to have you we are running out of time so um tell us where they can where our listeners can buy your book and where people can find you And I'll also link it in the uh, information on iTunes.
1: Yeah, sure. So the book is available on Amazon. Again, the title is Worship Her. And you can also find it under my name, Stina Marie Brown. And when this podcast goes live, I will also have two chapters that I would love to give to anybody who's listening. And they can grab that at stinamarie.com backslash free chapters. Um, And that'll be the first two chapters of the book. You can get your hands on that. So,
0: yeah, well, I'm definitely going to go get my hands on that. I can't wait to read your book and thank you so much for coming on our show and, uh, look for Sina Marie. Hopefully we'll see more of her on upcoming episodes, but thank you very much, Sina.
1: Thank you so much, Tiffany.